Hello, church. My name is Flora, and we will now be reading today's passage from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. Um, please follow along in your own Bible or the screen. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are now for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the reading of God's word. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to True North Church. For those that are new or visiting for the first time, my name is Jay. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are just so glad that you are able to join us today. Um, hopefully it doesn't rain, right? We, we want the nice weather back. So, um, yeah, one of the things that I was thinking about as we continue on in our sermon series through generosity, uh, I was trying to think about what, what was the most generous gift that I've ever received, um, and I think... As I was kind of reflecting on this and I was thinking about it, uh, there are many things and many gifts that I've received in my life, uh, and there's many things that I can look at as kind of like, oh, this is really a, a, a touching or heartwarming thing. Um, but besides my family and, you know, besides, uh, you know, those things that are kind of important, uh, one of the things that I realized, the most generous gift that I ever received was uh, during a time when I spent about five months in the Amazon with a, 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 with a missionary couple, and I realized that uh, the most generous gift that I received was just being able to witness and be a part of their life and, and to see uh, them living out their Christ-likeness for me to observe. Uh, you know, just kind of spending this time together with them. You know, when I, when I initially went, I was in my mid-20s and I wanted to kind of do ministry. I wanted to see what being a missionary was like and I was kind of all gung-ho and I felt ready to kind of, you know, be, be put to work and do all these things. But, uh, you know, in reflection, kind of coming back, I realized oh, what, what God really had a gift for me was to be able to observe their life, to see their heart for people, uh, to see their heart for prayer, the fact that they would be able to completely trust in God for all their provisions, that even in the midst of such a hard, hard and difficult life that they were called upon, uh, that they would be, still be able to keep a level of positivity and, and to be really aligned and, and on mission to 
to share the gospel with the people around them. I mean, uh, it, I mean, there were, there were missionaries from Korea, uh, you know, moving to the Amazon jungle in the in the, in the early '90s. You know, I mean, and, and the fact that they were able to take with them their two young, very small children, and and to still have a heart of worship. And, and for me to observe that and to see their, their discipline and waking up every morning to pray, um, to see them, to love their community, even, even when they were trying to extort money from them or even when they were trying to kidnap their children. You know, there was a lot of these different things that they were going through, and yet they were so dedicated um, to not only just worshiping God, but to allow me to enter into their life to observe their life. You know, I was, I was 25 years old, uh, uh, and, and just kind of entering into, the, uh, to, to, into their home, uh, you know, eating dinner with them and lunch with them all the time. And, you know, and I'm thinking back, I'm like, would I, would I entertain like a 25-year-old now in my life? I was like, I don't think so, you know? Or like, yeah, I'll meet you at Starbucks. You know, like, but to like bring them into, and I was like, oh, that's such a wonderful gift. And I realized, why was, why was that such a transformative and such a, a moving part of my life? And I realized this that oftentimes we think about generosity in, in terms of possessions, we think about generosity in terms of money, we think about generosity in terms of things, uh, but the most generous way that we as Christians can live is when we model Christ-likeness to the people around us, whether it be your friends, whether it be your family, and especially your children. When we are able to live out Christ-likeness in our life, um, that can be one of the most generous things because people around us benefit from our holiness. People around us will benefit from, from Christ-likeness in our lives. So last week, Pastor Eugene, he opened up our sermon series on generosity. We learned uh, what it meant to be generous in our lives um, beyond kind of money and beyond things, right? That a generous life is our willingness to go above and beyond the standard of our culture, to give others uh, of ourselves, our time, our energy. And, and, and today, we're going to really think about what it means for us to live generously as we strive towards holiness, that living out and practicing our lives it, it, with our active pursuit towards, towards God is, is what really benefits the people around us. So today we're going to talk about what it means uh, for us to live a life of generosity by striving to be transformed to Christ's likeness. That reflecting the character of God in our lives can be one of the best gifts that we can give to the people in our lives. And, and just one second, I'm going to try to... Okay, hopefully that, that helps. So, first of all, we, we are able to live generously when we embrace the generosity that we've received. Uh, embracing the generosity and the, and the grace that we received in Christ is what really allows us um, to live out generosity uh, in, in, in our lives. Now, in the passage that we read, there's a lot of imperatives, there's a lot of commands. Uh, and the first two being to put off our old self and to put on our new self. Right, so there's this command to kind of take off our old life and to put on our new life. Now, when we read the passage, uh, there's a parallel passage in Corinthians, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, and we're going to see a slight difference here. So in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, it says this, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So now, Apostle Paul, who has written both a letter here in Ephesians and a letter to, in the Colossians, we see a slight difference. And here in Ephesians, it is commanded to put off your old self and to put on your new self. But in Colossians, it's a, uh, it's a reality that's already been accomplished, right? It says you have put off your old self and you have put on your new self. So the question is, is which one is correct? 
Have we already taken off our old self and put on our new self? Or must we put off our old self and put on our new self? And the answer to that is both. It's a both and. Uh, the, the, the gospel message, there's this paradox of the already but not yet. That already we've received the new life in Christ, but it's not something that is fully realized until we, re- we re- meet him again in, in heaven. And that during this life here on earth, that we must continually strive and seek towards holiness. To, to let go of our former life and to continually seek after the new life that we have in Christ. So it's a both and. And what that really exemplifies and really kind of teaches us and shows us is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there's nothing that we do to receive this new life. It's purely by God's grace. But once we've received this new life, we are not just mindless robots that he controls, but that we are also given this responsibility to seek holiness in our life to seek Christ-likeness, to live a life where our, the standard of us is, is we want to be more and more like Jesus. So the first step in us to really live a life of generosity is to embrace the reality that God has been more than generous to us, that purely by his grace, we have received new life, purely by his grace that our old self is no longer here that we are made new in Jesus. And the, reality, and, and the reason why embracing that generosity is so important is because generosity is contagious. Now, there was a um, study that shows that when, when, when people observe generosity or, 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 or when observe kindness in strangers, that it is contagious. And, and one of the examples that they give is this idea of the pay it forward movement. I don't know if you guys know the history of this, but in 2012, at a drive-thru in Tim Hortons in Winnipeg, Canada, one person paid for the coffee of the person behind them. And you might be like, yeah, that doesn't count because it's Canadians. They're, they're nice anyways, right? Um, but it, th- this paid-for movement kind of happened all over the place. It happened in Texas. It, it happened in California. And it, it even happened in Orange County because I was a part of it. You know, it happened to me. And I'm sure you guys have experienced it as well, right? This idea is that when you are generous and you, you see someone being generous or kind, it, 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 it's contagious. You want to be kind as well. Now, one of the things that I've been working on <clears throat> ever since I was 16 years old is uh, to be a kind and less aggressive driver. I, I, am, I, I, I get road rage all the time, right? I'm super aggressive. And, and it's weird because if, if a human being was walking and they kind of cut me off, I'd be like, hey, oh, and he'd be like, excuse me. I'd be like, oh, no worries. But the moment it's like cars, it, it's like, it's, it's like a game, right? I don't want anyone in front of me, right? Like, I, I don't want people cutting me off. I don't want people coming, like, you know, trying to hit me. And, and you get so angry, right? Every time someone drives in a way that I feel is um, incorrect, like, the, the rage in me grows. Now, one day, um, I was in a Target parking lot, and I was kind of, you know, just observing. I was about to try to pull out, and I see this car coming out and making a very dangerous and ill-advised left turn out of the parking lot, and, and this person almost hit another car. And I was like, and the, uh, the rage in me, like, like the, because the, I, I want justice, right? The rage in me, I was like, oh my gosh, if that ever happened to me, like they would be getting it, right? So I was pulling out my phone because I'm expecting some kind of event to happen. But the lady in the, uh, in the other car, um, she was very calm. She just waved her hand and said, hey, you go ahead. And I was like, oh, my goodness. It's like, what kind of saint is that person, right? Like, but 
once I observed that, like, it, it kind of changed my heart. And I was like, man, like, why don't I act in that way? And I realized, I, and, and her kindness, her, her graciousness, her generosity was really contagious in my heart. Where now I'm trying to consciously, like before, I'm like, I wish someone cuts me off, right? Like, I wish someone always, now I'm like, I, I'm like consciously thinking, like, how can I be more generous in my driving? How can I be nicer uh, to the people on the road? Like, I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what they might have been distracted by. I don't, and, and there's no intent. No one's trying to kill each other on the road, right? We're all trying to be good drivers. And, and, and I think that's one of the things where we really have to understand that the generosity that's contagious, we must first embrace and understand the grace that we have received from Jesus. The fact that he has given us new life. Once we embrace that truth of the gospel, that it will push us and urge us to be generous to the people around us. Next, the motivation for our generosity. Well, then what, what, what really causes us uh, to live in a generous way uh, or what motivates us to do so? Um, when we see the context of Ephesians chapter 4, it's in the context of unity, right? And everything that Apostle Paul is writing here is, is very applicable so that we can be united together as one body of Christ. Now, in the beginning of chapter 5, he gives us a motivation and, and the reason why we want to follow after these applications. And he says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Uh, to live and strive after some of these standards that God has placed in us here in Ephesians chapter 4 is because we want to be imitators of God. When we see, when, when, and, and because we are beloved children, when God sees his characteristics in us, it brings him great joy. Now, um, for those of you that uh, have our parents and have children, one of the things that bring, brings me a great joy in my kids is when I see, like, good qualities in them or good characteristics in them that I value, you know, that I think that I have, right? So if I see, if I see one of my kids, uh, uh, you know, being very ambitious or, or very, uh, uh, you know, kind to others or, you know, and, and not that I, it's always that I have, it's things I value, right? Like, they're kind or, or they're, they're, they're studying hard or, or they're, they're working hard at something, it, it, it brings you great joy and satisfaction, in that same way, God looks at, looks at us as his children, and when he sees us imitating him, when he sees characteristics in us that reflect his glory and his nature, it brings him great joy. And one of the motivations that we have to live a life that is generous and gracious towards others and kind to others is so that we can please our Father. We can please our God. To be imitators of Christ it is, it is one of the very uh, ways that we can benefit the people around us. It motivates us. Next, we are also called not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Right? Um, in, in, uh, in the passage uh, here, what we read is Apostle Paul telling the, uh, the church in Ephesus what it means for us to be united. And one of the ways that uh, it really brings division is when we speak and and. And, and are malicious towards one another. And he says, in doing this, we, are, we grieve the Holy Spirit. To live contrary to our new life in Christ brings sadness to God. And he says, we, we are sealed in the Spirit, which means that we have a stamp or, or a mark that distinguishes us from those that have not placed their faith in Jesus. Uh, when Back in the day when they would send letters 
uh, they would have a stamp and they would have a seal, right? They would melt wax on the letter and then they would put the seal um, to mark who the letter is coming from or who the letter belongs to. So if someone received a letter and they saw a seal marked with an emblem of, of, a, of a king or a lord or somebody, they understood that that letter belongs to this person, even if the messenger was different. In that same way, when it says that we have been marked and sealed by the Holy Spirit, the stamp of, who God, a stamp of God is, is placed in us, so we are his representatives. We are, we are people that are part of his family. And the moment we stop living according to his likeness, we misrepresent who God is. And that grieves the Holy Spirit tremendously. Now, one of the biggest things that I think is a detriment to the church and to Christians is the level of hypocrisy that we can live in, right? Oftentimes, uh, when, when people have something against Christianity or, or, or they look down upon Christians, it's not so much that they disagree with Jesus. You know, I mean, some people might be like, eh, I don't know if Jesus really resurrected from the dead, but no one really has anything bad to say about Jesus, right, or the message of Jesus. Uh, oftentimes, what people have a problem with is Christians who are living in hypocrisy, People or, or Christians who seem to be more judgmental about others without really being introspective about their own shortcomings and their own sins. And so when we live in this way, when we live in a way contrary to Christ-likeness, what often that happens is it opens us up towards criticism from those outside. And that grieves the Holy Spirit because it misrepresents who he is by his own children. Now, again, I'm going to use that same analogy. If you're a parent, some of the things that make you the most irritated and some of the things that uh, make you the most angry in your children is when you see characteristics in them that you do not value. When you see uh, uh, actions in their life that really you do not see as respectable or you see as, as, as bad. Um, when, my, when my kids lie, you know, and I... Actually, only the youngest lies. Everyone, <laughs> the two older ones are, are fine. Um, when, when, my, when my youngest son, he like lies to me, I'm like, I go, hey, don't lie. You can, you can tell me anything. Why, you, you, don't have, you don't have a need to lie, and it gets me very angry, right? Um, or when, you know, my wife, she's always like yelling at my other, the middle son because he never puts his plate away. And, and, and I'm realizing, and I go, I go, that doesn't make me mad because I never put my plate away. But it makes her mad because he doesn't put her pl his plate away, right? It just angers her so much, right? In that same way, when God sees us living contrary to his character, having an attitude contrary to his kindness, living in a way that misrepresents him while we hold the seal of his, of his identity in us, it brings him great grief. It brings him great sadness, so if we are called to live in a, lot, in a way to glorify God, then we must seek to live out a way where we imitate him, where we seek to become more and more like him, where we strive toward sanctification. Another way, um, another motivation why we live in, in, this, in the ways that Apostle Paul is calling us to live is because just as generosity is contagious, stinginess is also contagious. Stinginess and selfishness destroys the momentum of generosity in our lives. Now, um, I told you guys about the paid forward movement, right? And, and the first time I experienced this, I was uh, 
in a drive through Starbucks. And uh, I was like, I, I guess on the internet, there was like this thing, right? Like, hey, pay it forward kind of thing. I didn't know about it. I just want a coffee. So uh, I, I go to the drive through Starbucks. and I'm like, why is this line so long? I was getting so angry already. I was like, oh, my gosh. And then so it was, it was a hot day. I opened my windows. And then uh, I'm, I'm going. I order my drink. I ordered a, uh, a tall iced Americano. That's like one of the cheapest drinks you can buy at Costco, okay? And then I'm just going. And then I, I, I'm listening to the people behind me. And they're ordering like venti fraps, right? They're ordering like pastry. They're, they, they ordered a lot, okay? And I, I had no idea. I get to the front. I'm about to pay. And they're like, hey, don't worry. The person in front of you pay for you. And I was like, oh, that's nice. And then I was like, wait a second. I know what they, like they paid for my $2.95 coffee. I am not going to pay $40 for the people behind me. No way. So I was like, oh, thanks. And then, and the guy's waiting. The, the cashier's waiting. I'm like, have a good day, and I left, and I know, I know I broke the chain, right? I stopped the whole paid forward movement at that, at that drive-thru, that mo- and, and that's the thing, like, when you experience, like, you can be a, a generous person, and you can be very kind, and you can help people, and, and you can be giving. The moment that the person that you are helping is stingy with you, you no longer want to be generous to them. I'm sure you've had relationships and friendships where, where you buy lunch for your friend or you, you, or you spot somebody for dinner. You go, hey, don't worry about it. And then the moment that you don't have money, uh, they spot you, and then you get home, and there's a Venmo request, $9.95 for Chipotle. And you're like, what the heck, right? Like, you never want to return that generosity again. And just as generosity is contagious, stinginess is also contagious. So if we're thinking about a motivation beyond just pleasing God and, and bringing glory to God, uh, to be a, a, a live a generous life is because our generosity begets generosity. Our stinginess begets stinginess. And in a community that is called to be united, the moment we stop being generous towards one another is the moment that Satan now has a foothold to bring division, to bring discord. So that leads us to our third and final point. Then, then what, what, is, what, are the, what is the aim in our life? How do we actually live generously? Now, starting from verse 25, Apostle Paul gives five commands, five imperatives on how Christians ought to live for, towards unity. Uh, I'm going to kind of condense that down to, to, to three. Uh, but number one, um, what we read in verse 28 is, it says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Uh, the first way that we are to be generous towards the people around us is that we are to be generous in our work. And this is something that we can all relate to. Most of us work, right? Uh, and, and, and one of the things that I realize as I'm hitting like my middle of my life, midlife, is um, the excitement and the innocence and the potential that I saw in my career in my 20s and 30s no longer exists, right? Some of you guys that are just starting off in your career, like there's this feeling of like uh, um, untapped potential, that through your career you will find fulfillment, that through your career that you're going to somehow change the world, that there's going to be some sort of impact that you're going to make, and then you're like looking and thinking, oh my goodness, like the horizon is, is it, it, the, the, the options are limitless, 
and, and you're still young enough where you maybe start your first job, you're like, ah, oh, you know, this is cool, but this is not for me. I, I'm going to move on. And you, and you move on to a new job or a new career. You can pivot. Um, once you hit your 40s, um, all that is gone. And, you, and you're hit with the reality that, hey, like 99.9% of the world, you don't work for fulfillment. You don't work to, to fill a void in your life. You work because you work. That's all it is. It's almost a means to an end. And if you think about it, in a, if you look at it in a negative way, it just becomes a means to make money. But if you look at it in, in, through the lens of the gospel, we see that work is a way that we can benefit others. Because Apostle Paul doesn't say, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work so that he can make a living. He doesn't say that. He says, make him do honest work with his own hands so that, the purpose of work, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Right? The purpose of our work, when we're generous in our work, it's so that we can benefit the people around us. Now, the obvious thing is that you are able to make funds and make money so that you can help those in need, but... Um, I think a more practical thing is that when we are serious about our jobs, when we take our work seriously and we see it as a way, as something that God has called us to, we benefit mostly our coworkers. Why? Okay, I'm sure you guys have experienced it. Have you guys ever experienced in your workplace where you've had a coworker or somebody that really does no work, right? They're the worst, right? They're always calling in sick. You know, they're always trying to like, you know, hand off their work to you or others. You know, if, if you're a student, if you've, if, you, if you've ever done a group project, there's that one person who does no work, right? And, and I repent, I, I, I'm one of those people. I brought, I brought the good vibes though, but I did no work. You know, and, and those are the people that just, and the question is, what happens to the work that they don't do? Does it just disappear? No, it gets distributed to the rest of the coworkers. When we are not striving to be everything that we can be in our workplaces, it's really stingy and selfish because the people around us get affected. When we see work as an opportunity for us to, to have a good attitude, to do the best of our ability, the people that benefit right away are the coworkers that we work with. We might be making their job a little easier. We might be helping them have a positive attitude. We might be helping the entire team uh, accomplish and, and finish the project that, they, that you guys are working on. There's just so much benefit to us when we think about work as not just a means to us making money, but as a way that God has placed us to, be, to really impact our coworkers and to be generous towards them and to, to, shower, uh, to show them what it means as Christians who live generously. And when we have that attitude, now work no longer becomes, uh, uh, you know, just a, a source of bitterness and pain and, and burden. You know, even, uh, and, and for me to confess, you know, I'm a pastor and you're probably thinking, oh, you probably don't go through it. Oh, I do go through it. Even as a pastor, there's a desire where you just don't want to work. You don't want to deal with people. You don't want to deal with the drama. You don't want to deal with the issues. And, and, and the more I focus on that, the less generous I am being towards the people that are affected by my work. Next, we, must, we are called to be generous in our speech. So Paul commands us to put away falsehood and to speak truth. Um, 
Then in verse 29, he expands on this command and tells us to not have corrupt talk come out of your mouth and instead only speak in such a way to build others up. Right? So it, it, then, then the opposite of, is true. If we are called to speak in such a way that builds other people up, then the corrupt talk and slander, what does that do? It takes away, it tears down. You know, I, I think one of the things that's wrong with uh, the church and Christianity oftentimes is that we um, highlight sins that we culturally see as bad and we ignore sins that the Bible really emphasizes as bad. And one of those is, is our speech. In James chapter 3, verse 6 through 12, James makes it very clear. He says, that, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every king, kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creatures can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I mean, just, just that description alone, we see how destructive our speech can be. Gossip, slander, false testimonies that we give about others, right? Gossip and slander tears others down. It dehumanizes them, and the purpose is oftentimes to cause discord and division. Now, the question is, is this, like, why do we gossip? Why do we slander others? Are we, very, are we gossip because it's entertaining? It's kind of fun. Like, you know, we always say, hey, spill the tea, right? We, we, it, it makes us feel better because the stories that we hear, it, it, as it tears others down, it makes us feel better about ourselves. Right? But we forget and we, we fail to realize that when we do this, what we are taking away from the person that we are gossiping about is is the full nature of their humanity. That we limit them to just this one story or this one characteristic. That we fail to see that they are a whole creature created in the image of God with many other characteristics and many other flaws and many other good qualities about them. Instead, we just minimize them to this one particular story that we repeat and repeat and we exaggerate and we repeat. And the more we do so, the more of a caricature they become. They no longer become human in our hearts and our minds. They become just a character. And... And I think one of the things that is difficult about this is that as Christians, we've learned how to rationalize. So instead of gossiping, we call it venting. Oh, I just need to vent about this person, you know? You know, like, and it's like, oh, oh, it's not even just venting. It's, it's a way for me to build a relationship with this other person. Now they know that I trust them. You know, and, and so I'm going to talk about that, you know, and we, and we do this. And even in our culture, it's so much easier for us to gossip and, and, and slander others because their lives are posted all over social media, right? And it's like, if they're going to post it, then I'm gonna, I get to talk about it. And, and, and we do this and we fail to f understand that by doing this, not only are we hurting the person that we are gossiping and slandering, but are also affecting the person that we're speaking to in a negative way. Because what we're doing is we're pulling at their hearts so that they can view this person in the same way that I view them. So that I'm going to pull them into my team, causing division and discord with them. So now 
I am recruiting them on my side. Over the years, I've worked hard at trying not to gossip. You know, it's one of those things where you actively do it. And now instead, the only thing, not the only thing, but what I try, and I'm not perfect, but what I'm okay with is like third degree of separation gossip. I'm like, hey, if you have a coworker that I'm never going to meet, tell me all their stories. You know, like I'll, I'll, I'll listen to that, right? And so we and my friends, we chat, and, and they're telling me about people that I'll never have contact with. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. Please tell me more. And I'm like, you know, asking for details. And, and even that is bad because now this person that I'm never going to know, I'm never going to meet, all they are to me is this one particular story. I have stolen from them their humanity. I have taken from them the the depth of who they are, and I've minimized them to this one story that is so ridiculous and so entertaining for my heart that I'm just like, ha, 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 and that's it. That is the, the least generous thing that I can do. Lastly, we are also called to be generous in our hearts. Right, it says in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And it says, be kind to one another. So the opposite is to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgave you. Now, in one of the Gospels, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, Apostle Peter, he asks Jesus a question. He says, how often must must we forgive someone that has sinned against me? Seven times? And Jesus answers, no, 77 times. And then he tells this parable of the unforgiving servant. This servant who had a massive debt um, to, towards a king, and the king forgives him of that debt, but this servant sees another servant that owes him like five bucks, and instead of forgiving him of that debt, he throws him in prison. And he says, for you, if, if you have been forgiven by the king of the universe of all your sins, and you are unwilling and unable to forgive the people around you for their sins, then you are just like this unforgiving servant. And the question is, why would this servant not forgive this other person? Because what he clings to in his heart is bitterness. What he clings to in his heart is, is a desire to receive back what he feels it is owed to him. When we want back what we think is taken away from us with such a vigor that we're willing to, to dehumanize someone and even put them in jail, even though we have received ultimate and infinite forgiveness, that reveals in us a very stingy heart, that we lack generosity. And here's the thing about bitterness and unforgiveness. Bitterness and unforgiveness does not only affect the person that you are unwilling to forgive. It also, it's it's toxicity in your heart. It weighs you down in such a way where you can't get past certain things. Now, many of us, we have relationships in our lives. We have, we have people in our lives, whether it's siblings, whether it's past relationships, whether it's friends, whether it's our parents, whether it's our children, where we might have bitterness towards them, where we are unwilling and unable to forgive them. What we are doing is we are keeping that person in debt to our hearts. And that debt that we hold also weighs us down. Now, uh, several months ago, um, 
I received a message from one of my old college buddies. He said, hey, my, me and my family, we're going to be in town uh, for, uh, it, it, we're going to be in the Bay Area, love to come visit your church, love to, love to see you, right? And I was like, oh, that's kind of strange because this guy doesn't like me, you know? Because, um, you know, in college, we were very close, you know, we had a falling out, you know, and, and, and um, I, I was in the wrong, I'll admit it, so I reached out, you know, like, in college, I, he said, hey, my bad, forgive me, like, whatever, whatever, you know, all that kind of stuff. And to me, that's all I could do. Uh, and, but for him, um, he could never let that go, right? So, you know, a couple years later, I would hear from our mutual friends, hey, man, he's still mad at you, or he's, you know, he says this about you. I'm like, hey, there's nothing I can do. Like, literally, it, it's water under the bridge for me. I've already apologized. We've already talked it out. I, I can't force him to forgive me, right? Um, but, and, and then, you know, he stopped going to church for a while, you know, all that kind of stuff. But so I was very surprised that he wanted to even come to church. Now, when we came, we we're catching up. He's like, hey, man, like, you know, I started going to church again. I'm serving. I'm thinking about, like, me and my family becoming missionaries. I'm like, oh, that's crazy, right? You know, like, my friends already told me, like, hey, he's changed. I was like, oh, that's, that's wild. That's cool. You know, and then and he's like, hey, and one of the things that I want to say to you is that um, I, I want you to forgive me because I've been so bitter towards you for, for almost 20 years, right? And, 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 you know, he started kind of tearing up, and I was like, don't cry, man, you know? And he's like, you know, he's like tearing up, and he was always an emotional guy, and he was like, you know, no, no, for real, like, you know, I would say all these things about you and all that kind of stuff, and, 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 and the only thing I could say to him was, I said, hey, you know, Andy, oh, I don't shouldn't say his name, Brandy, you know, uh, I said, hey, I said, I said, thank you for finally forgiving me, right? I said, thank you for finally forgiving me. Um, because even though he said, forgive me for my bitterness, like, the bitterness he held towards me was his inability to forgive me. Uh, and, and when he confessed that, and I, I, real, I said, hey, thank you for finally forgiving me. Because what you have done is you have taken away my debt to you from your heart. And you have, un, you have released the burden of bitterness and anger in your heart to the point now where we can move forward in our relationship. The most generous thing that you can do is that you finally found in your heart to forgive me. One of the things that I think many of us struggle with, you know, and, and again, maybe as I'm getting older, um, midlife crisis and all that, I'm realizing things in different ways. One of the things that I realize is that our life here is very short. We don't have much time. We always think that we have so much time left in this life to, to mend our wrongs and, and to, to rebuild relationships and whatnot, uh, what is stopping us from doing it today? Why wait 20 years to reconnect with that friend, to forgive them? Why wait another week to speak to your parents about your past or about things that you dis were disappointed by? Why wait another week to talk to your kids about something that they said or they, they didn't, didn't do? Why, why wait to talk to somebody here in this congregation about something that was said or something that was heard? To live a life that is generous means that we are, being, that we are willing to open our hearts to the, to the reality that our bitterness really robs one another of a relationship that we can have. And all this is a reminder of the fact that Jesus he did not hold any bitterness towards us. He held the cross in his arms, and he died so that we can be called his beloved children. Let's pray.